Welcome to the Defiant Business Podcast. A business podcast produced by Defy the Status Quo for forward-thinking businesses and savvy professionals looking to defy the status quo of mediocre customer experiences, barely surviving businesses, and haphazard business development. We'll explore best marketing and sales practices, improving business processes, attracting your ideal clients or customers, striking your perfect work-life balance, business basics, intentional inclusion in business, and so much more. Thank you for joining me today. Let's do this. Okay, everyone, welcome back. I am here with Rachel Druckenmiller, the founder and CEO of Unmuted Life. And we are going to jump right into a, it's, I think it's more, almost more of an obvious topic now, especially with the lack of support and superficial support that people are seeing as they move to remote work. But we are going to talk about prescriptive wellness today and how we can dig deeper. So Rachel, before we get into the questions, could you just kind of describe for us a little bit what the term prescriptive wellness means? Yeah, so a lot of us, if we think about this in the workplace, we've all maybe heard stories of or been exposed to in our own organizations, times when the company says, oh, we have a stress issue, so we need to bring in a massage therapist. Like, that's the thing. We need to, we got stress. I'm pretty sure a 20-minute seated massage is going to fix that. Or people here are very sedentary and not really eating well. So we just need to put apples in the kitchen and it's okay if we still serve like pizzas every day for lunch, but we just have to make sure that we're, you know, putting programs in place, like making sure everyone's drinking their water or having, you know, people track different, different things. And we got to make sure they know their numbers and their blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. Cause if they know, if they know, then they will change. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I spent 13 years in that space and uh, I didn't, I, I found that's not exactly how it worked. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely not. So, I mean, you've already listed a few, but what other types of, of these types of like band-aids, if you mm-hmm. will, do you normally see companies putting into place for their employees? I think I'm particularly interested in like how your initial assessments of some of your um, clients go, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm sure some, a lot of them are probably like, they're trying, but they're not f- sure why it's not working. So what are the things they usually try to have in place before like they reach out to you? Well, I mean, one, to get clear on why you're doing it, a lot of companies say, oh, <laughs> it's funny, the motivation matters. So a lot of times it's, we want to save money on our healthcare costs. So we want to put in things to help people get well, which basically means we want to fix our employees. Mm-hmm. And I can respect that an organization wants to save money. I want organizations to save money too. We just have a pretty strong lack of evidence to show that prescriptive approaches to wellness without addressing the inherent and underlying culture of an organization and the people that are in charge. If we don't change those things, we just put band-aids on, we're not actually going to generate long-term change. So I think getting clear on why you're doing it, because we care about our people. And that's why in our first conversation, you know, you're asking who I like to who I work with and serve. It's companies that understand that caring for people is not a box to check, but that it is a long-term investment. It's a culture strategy. It's really part of the thread of, of who an organization is and what they stand for. And um, so I think part of it is really getting clear on the intention up front 
and understanding that it's not a quick fix and really that they are willing to do the work with their leaders in particular. Because when I talk to companies and they say things like, especially lately with COVID, ooh, our prescription and anxiety claims, are, 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 our prescription claims for anxiety and depression are through the roof. Well, yeah, because we're in a state of collective trauma. And this is, this is really hard. And so we want to make sure people have access to the things that they need to kind of modulate themselves in the moment. But are we getting to the root cause? Is there anything we can do systemically? Is there anything we can do with our processes? Is there anything we can do with our policies to better support people so that they feel like that's not the only option they have is to grab a pill, but that they feel like the organization cares about them enough to find out, hey, how else could I best support how else could we best support you right now during this difficult time? Yes. When you were talking about that, it made me think of so when I was in the army, we used to have certain trainings that we had to get every month and then some we had to get every quarter and then some were annual. And one of the ones that was quarterly was the sexual harassment assault and response training. And we got it every quarter, every quarter. And for such a serious issue, especially as it runs rampant within the military, my own experience is being an example it could not have been more prescriptive. Like, because, like, talk about eyes glazed over. Like, here's the slideshow. Like, oh my goodness, get out of here. And before I had to get out, it was actually one of my missions to be one of the people who gave that training because I wanted to do it differently. I wanted to explore different options, but I wanted to find a way to make it stick. And so I think that also speaks to your other point about companies understanding maybe not how to do it, but understanding that they need to do it and that they want to do it. So you're not convincing them, they're leaning in already. Yes. And and so that that feeling I had where I was like, no, this is not good. Like it's necessary, but not good. We need to do better. That's the that's the feeling mm-hmm. that people should be approaching this with, right? Like yes. we're trying we're not doing a good job. That's okay, but we need to do better, right? Yes. When you know better, do better. Yes. And and to that point, I had a conversation with an organization a couple of months ago and we were talking about doing some leadership training for them because they have I don't know, maybe about 200 some employees and you know, at least probably 30 to 40 people in positions of leadership or management and they have done zero leadership training for them in terms of people skills of any kind. And we were talking about how much time they're willing to devote to that. And if you're an organization that really believes in and cares about your people and their well-being and, and their performance and all of, all of these factors that we know contribute to, you know, like a strong culture, but you're fighting me on taking an hour, more than an hour to invest in the training of your leaders, like we're probably not going to be a good fit. Like that's going to take a lot of, it's going to take quite a bit of time and investment to really want to shift your culture in that way. And it's got to, if the leaders aren't on board, it's going to be really hard for anything that you're doing to, to stick because they drive. I think the number from Gallup is leaders, you know, drive like 70% of the variance in employee engagement scores managers do. Uh, that's a lot. So we can sit there and point the finger at people and blame them for being lazy or whatever else we do in organizations. Uh, or we can really kind of look underneath, you know, look behind the curtain and be like, well, how might we have some responsibility in this? What, what might our, you know, 
our ownership be of whatever is not working here and getting and not judgmental, but getting curious about it. And, and, and even, and this is really a very practical stuff for organizations to take, to really reflect on times, when have you been at your best? When have you as an individual been at your best? When have you as a leader been at your best? When have you been most proud? When has your organization, when have you seen your organization be at its best? And start from that. Start with connecting with when you've been at your best because that is energizing. And it takes us from a place of fixing problems to imagining possibilities. And that opens up tremendous opportunity when we shift our thinking that way. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, tremendous shift. I mean, that's creativity. That's imagination. And from all the books I've been reading, our ability to imagine the future that is not yet here is one of our greatest tools as human beings. Yeah. So if you're mired in all of the stress and you're unengaged, then how could you possibly imagine what you could do next? So what's one of the first things that you look at for these companies who are like, okay, they're not arguing with you over spending that hour. You know, you're like, no, we need more. And they're like, okay, like Mm -hmm. do more. Um, What is one of the first things that you do to help them dig deeper to give their employees what they really need. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's tricky, not just for the companies, but also for the employees. Even as a like a consultant, I work on an individual level more so, or like me with the company, one of the things I've noticed is that they tell me what they need and then we figure out that they actually need something else. <laughs> so what is one of the first steps that you go through to help companies figure out what they really need versus what they think they need? Well, I'd say a couple different things. I mean. One thing that comes to mind is if an organization already has data to access that I get to look at that. So if if your company has applied, for instance, to be recognized as the best place to work, chances are you have access to a report from your people in their words telling you what's working and what's not. And so if I can get access to something like that, that, again, to the extent employees trust that that information is not going to be used against them, that's a whole other conversation. But they, you know, people tell you enough in those types of you know, evaluations or, you know, feedback surveys that you can get a sense or a pulse of what's going on. I also love to, so I I did a three-part leadership training series with a group that's, I think, 80% of their leaders are PhDs, super smart group doing work in the, you know, complex problem solving. And what I, what I like to do is I like to interview a group of, you know, people from that group, kind of a micro group of people that are going to be in the larger group to find out from them, hey, when have you seen this team at its best? To really dig deeper, okay, when you're at your best, what are you seeing showing up? What are you seeing? Where are you seeing people feel stuck? Where, where are you noticing that when you're not at your best, what's getting in the way? And so I do as much as I can to really dig deep and understand the people that I'm going to be with because nobody wants a consultant to come in from the outside, speaker, trainer, consultant, facilitator, whatever you call yourself, right? To come in from the outside and tell them how it is and what to do. They're going to shut down so fast. Nobody wants to hear that. It's truth. They want to feel like you know them. And so that's one of the main pieces of feedback I get from my clients. They're like, wow, like, I really felt like you were, like you said at the beginning, I really felt like you were talking to me. Like this was so relevant for us right now. I don't feel like I've done my job if I haven't done that front end work to interview the people that are doing the work, to interview the people that are already kind of, you know, connecting in different ways to these different groups. And that are people that are already in positions of influence. 
And I find that when I do that, I always get, when I get stories and stories are one of the most, as you know, right? Stories are one of the most powerful ways to connect, not data. I don't care if you are a PhD, you are moved by story because you are a human. So I get them sharing stories with each other. You know, I find, I I will sometimes call somebody, you call on somebody if I'm in a, if I've done something ahead of time and interviewed and, and gotten those stories. When we're in the session, I might, you know, bring light, shed light on that person and say, hey, when you're chatting, you shared this really amazing story that perfectly describes this point. So bring other voices into the room. We've got like gone are the days where there was one person who is the expert who knows all the answers. Like that is, that never really actually was. We just thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> but we have to, we have to let other people be heard, you know? So I don't know. Those are some, some initial things I do, like really getting to know, doing some of those interviews, taking any data that I have to start on and really finding out, Hey, if you could wave, I like to ask this question. If you could wave a magic wand and change three things about your organization immediately, what would you change? That's a good question. That is a good question. It's a possibilities question. You know, it's a creative question because, hey, we're not saying you, obviously you don't have a magic wand, but like, if you did, if you did. If you did. Well, I mean, how are you going to get to it if you can't even conceive of it? Done. Exactly. Yes. Right. I think therefore I am. Yes. Right. Like you have to be able to think it to to bring it into into being. But I, I will say I love so you're a woman after my own heart, obviously, but I I love that you're like, hey, give me the data that we have. Let's look at the stories and see what we can pull out, right? Like it's it's bringing those two things together because you have some people who are like, uh, anecdotal evidence. And then other people who are like, oh, that's just a bunch of numbers. You could just manipulate it and make it say whatever you want it to say. But instead of, you know, favoring one over the other, you make the most use of the resources that you have available. And I think that that's incredibly important. And again, just (laughs) my large organization experience is primarily when I was in the army and we did focus groups. Mm -hmm. And we did surveys, you know, for the data and the focus groups for the stories. But yeah, I can't say that I ever really consider them a good use of my time. So it's really hard to get into the government space, but I think they need to take some notes <laughs> from you. Well, and that, so I, because you said that triggered one more quick thought, and that is if an organization is going to work with me, I want to understand are you willing to take action? Once you find this stuff out, are you willing to make even incremental changes? Because if you're going to survey people and find out what they think and ask all these questions, and then you're not actually going to change anything, like you're actually going to do more harm probably. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm pretty sure the military only still runs because we have a uh, contract basis. <laughs> Right. Like I signed like I signed up for five years the first time and and six years the second time. Like that's I'm pretty sure that's the only reason <laughs> why it still works. But thank you so much for that. I, I really think like you've given people some things to think about here because whether you're at the top, whether you're at the bottom, whether you're at the middle, there's a role for you here. There's a role for you here in breaking out of the prescriptive wellness chains that, you know, organizations are often bound in because they want to do something, but they end up not doing the right thing. So just thank you so much for shedding some light on that. Yeah. Great conversation.
Yes. Yes. All right. So that's it for today, but be sure to come back tomorrow because Rachel will have another episode and you're not going to want to miss it. This one's going to be, well, I mean, they're all good. I can't say this one is good. (laughs) The whole thing is good. Just plan to be here. Plan to be here. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Defiant Business Podcast. Please make sure that you've subscribed and do be sure to leave us a review if you found this episode at all helpful. And if you think it would be a great resource for someone else, be sure to share it with them. See you next time.